Emma Chamberlain is like Casey Neistat. They can make a show about nothing and still get you hooked. She's turned her love for coffee into a business that's done $10 million in revenue in the first year. But she has a problem. She's burnt out. And so in this video, we brainstorm ways that she can solve her burnouts or while turning herself into the Oprah for Gen Z and turning Chamberlain Coffee into a $500 million brand. In the last episode, we talked about Ali Abdal and a framework called building versus partnering and thinking about if you are going to start a company, do you do everything in-house? Do you do everything from scratch? Or do you go out and find another business or another person that's done it all before who can basically offload most of the work too? And with Emma's launch of Chamberlain Coffee, she's done exactly that. And I think she's done an incredible job. The company that she partnered with is called Blazer Capital, and it's based out of one of the Nordic countries. The backstory to Blazer Capital is that they started this company called Nordgreen, which is another D2C company, which they grew to $15 million in revenue in two years. And they realized, holy shit, we can just do this for a number of different companies. And so they've created processes and systems to create a D2C incubator. And now they partner with other people such as Emma Chamberlain to launch these companies. So there are two key parts, I think, to any business. So the first is obviously the product. So if it's an online business, it's obviously the website or the app. If it's a physical product, it's obviously the actual making of, let's say, coffee. And then there's what I call like marketing distribution. So that's the marketing that, you know, just raping awareness, getting customers, et cetera. Typically the playbook has been, you build a product and you spend a lot of money on marketing where sales seem to distribute the product. And I think what's pretty interesting with working with YouTubers and online creators is that Blazor Capital can handle the business side, the product side, and the YouTubers such as Emma Chamberlain can handle the marketing and, and the distribution of that product. And what fits so well in this instance is every single time I watch a YouTube video with Emma Chamberlain, she's always drinking iced coffee. You know, that's just like a thing that she does. So it made so much sense for her to launch a coffee brand because she, does, she drinks all the time. She's an expert, you know, she's a quote unquote expert at it. And it was such a natural evolution of a business, you know, for her. Totally. I think we've started to see the rise of influencers starting companies. And a lot of people think, oh, if I partner with an influencer, that's it. This brand is going to be successful. They just do every single piece of the marketing and I don't have to worry about anything else. But from working with Sean, who has like an audience of 3 million people on his podcast, I realized starting a company with an influencer is kind of like a light fluid. It helps you in a number of areas. So it helps you get the fire going. It helps you start the business, but it isn't everything. Like you need other things to keep the business growing. So there are like four things that I think about that influencers can help with when they start a business. The first is solving the cold start problem. You automatically attract eyes of people that are interested in buying your product, and then you can validate that. Second, it improves unit economics. So for D2C brands, a lot of what they spend is on marketing. They spend most of their money running Facebook and Instagram ads, but having an influencer allows you to reduce the amount of money that you spend on marketing so you can create companies that are more profitable than you would have been able to do otherwise if you didn't have this influencer on board. The third thing is leverage and negotiating power. So if you imagine a DTC brand, they usually go through a few phases. The first is you start DTC, you run ads, and then once you've created a certain amount of revenue, you go into wholesale and you try to sell into stores like Whole Foods, etc. And when you are 
negotiating with these stores, what you want is like great product placement. You want a great rate on how much they pay you. So if you have a celebrity like Emma Chamberlain on the table, you have more leverage and more negotiating power when you are talking with these companies. So you can get better rates and better placement in stores. So the, the fourth thing is that as the YouTuber or the creator gets more famous within pop culture, it's just free awareness for the brand. So if they go on a talk show or they get invited to like another podcast where they can talk about what they're building, now this is all just free, I guess, PR, you know, for the brand that's kind of attached to the creator as well. I really like the framework around lighter fluid. And the major reason is like, it kind of, you know, if you're playing a video game, it gets you to like level three. It's kind of like, I don't know if you ever played Super Mario Brothers, but there's like little shortcuts where you can kind of skip levels. This definitely helps you skip from like level one to level three pretty immediately, but you still have to do all the foundational fundamental things around building a business. So it doesn't, it doesn't replace marketing. It just makes it easier, right? You still have to spend money on, on marketing. It just becomes a little bit more profitable. So it's kind of like, it makes it a little bit easier, but it, it's not the one all be all solves all your problems, handles all of your distribution of marketing. You still have to build a great business. You have to still build a great team and culture. You still have to raise capital. You still have to do all the hard things around building a business. This just helps you kind of get there a little bit faster. And it's a, it's a little bit of a cheat code. This reminds me of the other things that Chamberlain Coffee does really well. When you mentioned hiring a great team, they've got a CEO who has like tons of experience in CPG. So I think he was at Red Bull, Heineken, and then he started and ran his own CPG company for about 12 years called the Bronx Brewery. And recently they hired a CMO from Red Bull. They've really focused on building out this great team with a ton of experience in the industry and a lot of contacts. So when I was a CEO of a tech startup, the framework that I always kind of abided by was you know, firing myself out of any role that I was doing and getting myself to a place where I had zero day-to-day -day responsibility. And that, you know, it was very aspirational and it didn't happen all the time, but it was just a principle that I worked backwards from. So what does that mean and how does that manifest on a day-to-day -day level? So first is you have to spend a good portion of your time recruiting and getting really good at convincing people and vetting people to join your company. And once you do that, you need to set a great culture that allows them to thrive and kind of collaborate and work with them in order for them to be successful and drive a lot of impact on the company. They raised around $7 million. Do you think this was a good idea? And how do you think about whether to raise money or not when you're starting a company? I don't think companies should raise VC. And I know that's like a standard thing that a lot of companies do. And the number one reason is when you raise money from a venture capitalist, the, the goal is for you to build a billion dollar company. And there are very, very, very few billion dollar companies. I think, you know, last time I checked the stat, it was a little over a thousand and that was before the big market downturn that we're having this year. So I think a better way to do it is to maybe use your own capital or raise a little bit of capital just to get the ball moving. And if it looks like it has you know, breakout success, then I would go out and raise more money from a VC. But I think a lot of companies prematurely raise, I think they prematurely scale. And that is a huge issue that causes a lot of companies to go sideways, in my opinion. Especially D2C companies. I think there was a period in time where every D vertical D2C company was getting funded at ridiculous valuations. And I think it all started with Casper. So basically Casper.com, they sell mattresses. And their whole insight was, we'll cut out the middleman who takes some margin when you sell into stores. 
and then we'll be more profitable as a result. But what actually ended up happening is they just ended up becoming the middleman. And the way that the economics ended up working, I think, with Casper is that on the actual product, they would make like a 50% gross margin on that. But they were spending, of every single dollar, they were spending about 60 to 75 cents on marketing. And so that made them massively unprofitable. Over time, we've seen people have woken up and they've realized like, hey, DTC companies are not software companies. They don't have anywhere close to the same type of margin. And so more people are starting to think or starting to understand you shouldn't raise money for a DTC company. It's better off if you bootstrap it and then sell it for a couple of hundred million dollars to a larger company. So this was like the great VC subsidy of the past decade. So essentially, like there's so much capital getting thrown around. There's so many funds launching and raising more funds. And essentially what happened is like pretty much if you had an idea and you're and you tackling some space, you could raise money from a VC. And essentially, where did that money go? A lot of that money went into hiring, but a lot of it went to marketing and literally went to Facebook and Instagram. So essentially, if you enjoyed taking Uber for like three or $4, that's because the VCs were subsidizing that. If you enjoyed buying their sheets, you know, that were really high quality for 50, hundred bucks, that's because VCs were subsidizing that. The, the mantra used to be growth at all costs because growth is the only thing that matters. You grow as fast as possible. And at some point you flip over and you figure out how to build a business. And that is really hard to do. One, it's just really hard to grow really quickly. And once you're like at scale, it's, it's like a drug. It's really hard to get off that marketing drug because you have goals to hit, you have revenue targets ahead. And I think we're just kind of seeing that implosion happen today. And I think the industry that got hit the hardest was D2C. Or number one reason is they got valued as tech companies. They're not tech companies. They just built really great products, really good branding. But they spent a lot of that money in marketing. And as a result, we're seeing, you know, the implosion of that today. We should talk about what could go well for Chamberlain Coffee. They raised $7 million. I assume that was at a reasonably attractive dilution. Maybe they sold like 15% of the company doing that. But now they have money in the bank. And I think if they don't raise another round, I think they could go on to sell for around like $200 million or $400 million in the next few years. One great example or success story that we've seen in the coffee space was Blue Bottle Coffee. From the get-go, they didn't kid anyone trying to say, hey, we're a software company. They were like, no, we're a coffee company and we make coffee and we build physical stores. The reason they became so valuable and they were able to sell a majority stake to Nestle for around $425 million was because they basically owned a share of the market that Nestle really cared about and they didn't have penetration in. That was the third wave coffee niche. So if you think about coffee, there's been like three waves. One is like the Folgers and like Maxwell, where it was commodity mass-produced coffee that comes in like a tin. Then it was Starbucks, which focused on these artificial flavorings and the experience of going to a cafe. And then we had a third wave where people really care about the origin of the coffee, where it was produced, the subtle notes, and they usually like lighter roast. And Blue Bottle essentially cornered this market in the US. And so for Nestle, it was kind of like a wake up call for them. It was, hey, this is a huge growing trend and we need to have a presence in this area of the market. It was essentially a strategic acquisition and the founders of Blue Bottle Coffee and all the investors involved, I think did extremely well for themselves. And so I think Chamberlain Coffee can do something similar, sell in that range in the next three or four years. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it really comes down to what 
her goals are and what she wants to accomplish. I think it makes a lot of sense for her to kind of leverage her audience and the partner with Blazer and with the executive team that she's hired to really take this as far as they possibly can. And I love what you're saying about the fourth wave, which is it's very bottom up, very community driven, less snobby, more aesthetically driven, but more importantly, it's like appealing to a much younger generation. So I could see a world where this whole thing is vertically integrated, where from the source of the beans to the roasting of them, to the manufacturing of them, to the coffee shops in major cities, to all the content that gets created around and creating like a lifestyle brand similar to like a Nike. I, I could see this really, really, really working. Another idea I was thinking through is like, I also see that, you know, she's done like matcha, which I think is like a, it tastes really good. It's like a great alternative coffee. It reminds me of like when I lived in New York and there would be all these like cool new matcha or obviously iced coffee, cold brew type places opening. And we walk in, it just kind of feels like an experience. And specifically, it feels like an Instagrammable space. You know, it's like bright colors everywhere, flowers, you know, like I remember the matcha place was just like really bright green. I think there's an opportunity for her, you know, to partner with a lot of these coffee shops to like carry your product, but also to create like very unique experiences in cities that people could travel to as well. So I think there's just a lot of neat things that she can possibly do if she wanted to expand into physical spaces. I also love what she's doing just online because of Rodin's like, I could go to the website, click a couple of buttons, have a coffee shipped to my house and, and try it myself. So yeah, so I, I definitely think she should start expanding. I don't think she needs to vertically integrate in the Starbucks way. I kind of feel like there's a way to do it that's the more YouTuber way that Mr. Beast has done. And I think that would be a really successful formula for her. Yeah, that's a great idea. I think, yeah, forget about like integrating like backward into coffee farms, but like focusing on the experience and the storefronts, I think she could totally dominate that. Because like, yeah. have you seen her house? Speaking of yeah. a physical location, I'm that beautiful. It is incredible. I'm looking through, her space is pretty awesome. I mean, shows a lot of her personality, which is what people really gravitate towards. And if this is something that she's like pretty passionate about or derives a lot of energy, I could just see her saying, hey, this is my space. It has coffee and matcha. There's some other cool things that are happening within the space. Come check it out. I could see lines like down the street for, yeah. for a very, very, very long time. So yeah, I think this is pretty cool. So yeah. I would say vertically integrate with a twist and that twist would be as a YouTuber. There are a few other ideas I had for Chamberlain Coffee of ways to expand. And one idea that I was thinking about when I was looking through the website is this idea that you have in economics. You think of these goods and you think of like substitutes versus complements. Substitutes are things like hot dogs versus burgers. If you buy one, you're probably not going to buy the other. But a complement is like a hot dog and a hot dog bun. If you buy a hot dog, you're probably going to buy buns with it. So as you go through Emma's website, it's like there's a bunch of coffee. What are the compliments that she could sell to increase like the average order value of a customer when they come through the site? And I have an interesting answer to this. And I think she should partner with Poopery. So if you don't know what Poopery is. What's Poopery? Yeah, yeah. Poopery is a small, it's basically an air freshener. And it's like a high-end air freshener that is about the size of like your index finger and it fits into your purse. So imagine you're a girl, you've been going over to this guy's house you've been seeing and you need to use the bathroom. It's like, oh shit, like I don't want to like stink the whole place out. 
So you take poopery and you drop like a few drops into the toilet. I think it's the perfect compliment because as most people know, like once you drink coffee, it makes you go to the toilet. And Emma also talks a lot farting. She even farts in her videos. So I think this is like- She farts a lot in her videos. <laughs> Should I leave this? That's just an obvious staple. I keep fucking farting. Oh God. I think this is the perfect brand layout for her. So it's like a compliment with coffee. It's like, you're going to go to the bathroom afterwards. And also it fits so well with her as like a creator. Yeah, I actually slightly disagree. Every time I go to a coffee shop and I kind of look around, I, I always see like all the little goodies. You have the coffee shop t-shirt and their coffee mugs and they have like some stuff and tools you could use to make coffee rails. I have never seen anyone buy any of those things. Like I like you sit there and no one buys any of those things. So I think in theory makes sense. And I, I think it definitely works for companies like Starbucks where five to ten percent of their revenue, I'm making that number up or some small percentage, can add up to a lot of revenue. But we're not at the scale of Starbucks. I think adding a lot of those things doesn't make a lot of sense unless, you know, unless you're trying to eke out revenue. So we talked a lot about her business and I think in order to keep her business going, so the business of Emma Chamberlain, you know, today includes coffee, who knows what else she'll add to her empire. It's really important to not get burned out. So she's taken a couple of breaks from YouTube, which is understandable because of, you know, the length and you know, the frequency and the algorithm and feeding the algorithm and make sure the algorithm is happy. And I've also experienced burnout and it is real. You know, you just do not want to do anything. And it's really important to remember it's a marathon and you want to make sure you have a very healthy pace, like not too fast where you tire yourself out, but not too slow where it's kind of boring. You just want to have a really nice, healthy pace. And I think that's something that she's trying to figure out. And actually a lot of YouTubers and entrepreneurs are just trying to figure out is like, I enjoy what I'm doing, but how do I kind of go at a pace that allows me to do this for a very long time? How do you stop being bent out? For me, the most important thing I did was prioritize myself. So I had this false belief that everything was prioritized above myself, our investors, our customers, our employees. And I was always like the bottom of the list. So that would mean like if I need to go to meetings to raise capital, but it would overlap with going to the gym, I would go to the meeting to raise capital or to fundraise or if I wanted to do something for myself and something else butted into it, I would do the other thing. So there's countless examples where I was always on the bottom of the list. And I think what changed for me is I put myself number one. So like my mental health, my physical health, my emotional, my spiritual health, you know, all those things were the most important thing. And as long as I take care of those things, then yeah, then I could become a great parent, a great husband, a great CEO, a great founder, a great creator. And that little shift and prioritize those things and saying no to all these other things is what really changed my perspective and, and, and changed me for the better. So I would definitely say prioritizing yourself. So I think she's, you know, if she needs to take a break, take a break. Like who cares about the algorithm? You know, if she wants to like do X, Y, Z, do those things. I, I would definitely say prioritizing yourself is probably the most important thing because it's so easy to deprioritize yourself when you have like so many things happening. And as you as a YouTuber become more and more successful. Yeah, I've been starting to realize this over the past year, but like the sh shifting towards a long-term mindset and it can be so enticing when you're in it, like, no, this is important right now. And like, I have to like work extremely hard to take advantage of this. But if you think about it, it's like you, the most gains are made over the longest period of time. Like it's just time that you need 
And so what you need to do is like stay in the game. And the best way to stay in the game is basically looking after yourself, your mental and physical health. Yeah, I have a theory that half a company's success is probably attributed to luck and timing, maybe more. So the goal for you as a as a CEO of a company, especially if you're a startup, is to like stay in the game as long as possible for for your company to get lucky or to like kind of catch a massive like tidal wave that's coming with a new macro trend. So I, I, I definitely think, you know, playing the long game, making sure you're setting yourself up for success, not shortcutting for some short term things, I think is, is extremely critical. I have a thesis of what Emma could do. And my thesis is that Emma Chamberlain can become the Oprah for Gen Z. So hear me out. Here's why it makes sense. So Oprah captured the hearts of millions of middle-aged women, first across America and then across the world. And she turned this into a $2 billion empire. And I think Emma could do the same thing. So Oprah was known for her generosity, but Emma is known for her vulnerability, her relatability, and her authenticity. And I think a lot of American teenagers at least coastal American teenagers, see her as a role model, somewhat of like this big sister type. And so I think she can like further go down this path and dominate this specific niche. The way that I would do this is create a talk show. We've seen some interesting talk show formats in the past, and two of my favorite ones are Hot Ones and Chicken Shop Date. Hot Ones, they take celebrities, they give them really spicy hot sauce and chicken wings, and they use the hot sauce as this thing to get them out of their comfort zone and like break character. Because usually you see these celebrities and they usually have this polished persona. But when you're eating hot sauce and you're like, you're crying, snots coming out of your mouth, you see a different side of their character. And there's a chicken shop date, which is the UK version of that. I think her name is Amelia de Moldenberg. She hosts this where she interviews musicians. And it's basically the format is a date. And she's just awkward. She has dry humor. And she's somewhat condescending in her videos. And she uses that to get these celebrities out of their comfort zone. I think Emma could do exactly the same thing. The specific format that I think Emma could do is host celebrities in her house. And they just have a coffee chat in the morning. And they're in their pajamas, no makeup. And they're just talking about like their life, their insecurity, the problems that they've dealt with. And I think this would be like a huge success. It would be great for her because she doesn't have to do any of the production and it's like a really easy, a really easy thing to do. And it's great for her audience because they get to see more of the content that they love from her. This goes back to a framework, which I actually learned from my friend Fatin. Y Combinator has the same, make something that people want. And he says something similar, which is make something that people will talk about. And I think if... Emma takes celebrities who are usually polished and seem like they have their lives together and she gets them in their pajamas, no makeup, and just talks to them one-on-one -on -one about like all the problems that are going on in their life to show the more human side of them. I think this would blow up across social media. And I think Gen Z would absolutely love this. I think this is a great idea. So for thinking about like burnout and how someone can overcome that. I, I think the number one way to do that is to work on something that makes an impact or gives back or gives you a sense of purpose. So when things get a lot of rough or really hard, you remember like, hey, I'm creating this content to give back to people so I could see other sides of myself or celebrity that I'm interviewing so we can kind of share our stories to hopefully inspire or 
offer solutions for other people in the same situation. So I think that is a great idea. The second framework I wanted to add to that, when especially when it comes to hiring. So in the tech space, there's this thing called transitioning from being a founder to being a CEO. So being a founder, you're kind of in the zero one phase. You have your hands in everything. You're working and touching and you're like extreme attention and detail. But at a certain point, you have to kind of transition to being a CEO because you become the bottleneck. Right. So if you're, you know, if you're the designer, you're writing the copy, you're hiring, you're raising capital, there are only so many hours in the day. So you have to kind of hire and delegate and trust people that they'll kind of execute in a, in a way that's high quality. I think in this situation, I would probably give this framework to be, you know, going from becoming a YouTuber to maybe becoming a creative director. So yeah. essentially, I think she should pivot like what type of content she creates. So I think the content that got her here is not the content that's going to get her to where she needs to be. And then there's that, you know, saying behind that. And I think this is a great pivotal moment for her to kind of rethink the types of content she's creating, maybe put a lens on what has been working for her, and then maybe just add like an altruistic filter to that. And I think that could be a next great path for her. I want to switch real quick back to my last idea for Emma in her path to becoming the next Oprah. And it's, I don't know if I would call this a framework, but I would think about it as like harnessing mythology. If you're from outside of America and you go to America, you just, you realize how much people love America. They love being American citizens. They love everything about America. And one of the things that I think is quintessentially American is Girl Scouts. And I think Emma could harness America's love for Girl Scouts and Girl Scout cookies to get into the homes of hundreds of millions of Americans. And the way that I would do this is go to Girl Scouts, the organization, which by the way is worth $800 million and collaborate with them, have some sort of voucher or some giveaway, perhaps like a golden ticket, right? Where they put in one of the packs of Girl Scout cookies across America, you get to have a call with Emma Chamberlain and you get an unlimited supply of coffee. And that way she infiltrates the homes of Americans with children and through the children, the parents will learn about her and they'll be like, oh shit, this coffee is pretty good. This girl is pretty good for my daughters because like she has great advice and they really look up to her. And so she starts like, yeah, I guess she like, not brainwashes, the, brainwashes is the wrong term, but essentially she finds like an alternative route into the homes of every yeah. young American. I think three things that Emma Chamberlain needs to do in order for her to sustain her career as a YouTuber. So number one is firing herself from all day-to-day -day mundane tasks. So this could be hiring a CEO for Chamberlain Coffee. It could be hiring an editor and, and working with them on her style. I think number two is partnering. So partnering as much as possible. So rather than building a coffee shop, she could partner with all the cool local coffee shops in every major city around the world. And number three, which I think is most critical, is find a sense of purpose in, in the next type of content she wants to create. And always, 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 I would maybe say this to the fourth, is always look for opportunities to have fun. So if you really follow what she does, like she was on the red carpet, she does like random, you know, brand ambassador type things. And you can just tell she loves doing that and she's having a lot of fun. So if this Girl Scouts, you know, partnering with them to create like a one-off collab is something she wants to do. She should totally do that because I think the excitement she would get from it would, you know, keep her like energized. And, you know, as long as she keeps it to a limited few and it's just kind of in the having fun and can also double as marketing for a brand, I think 
that would be a great formula for her. So yeah, I, th I think, I think the Emma Chamberlain empire is not to take over the world, but for her to have as much impact as like the voice of her generation. And I think definitely prioritizing that and getting herself into a place where she could play the long game, I think is, you know, is her calling. I think you just wraps up this episode beautifully.